burning, been burning inside of me for a, for a long time. And we talk a, 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 about a lot of different things here, a lot of culture things. And we talk about the favor of God. And, and this is all of the kingdom is about God's favor and his love for us, and his passion for us, how he relentlessly pursues us. And Mark was talking to me earlier about how he, he doesn't just pursue us until the marriage happens like a lot of us men do. We pursue and our cars look really nice and we're all in shape and beautiful and then we get married and we're like well we got our goal and we kind of let down he doesn't do that to us (laughs) he pursues us the same throughout eternity and just goes after us relentlessly and so I thank him for that and uh, so the kingdom is all about him relentlessly pursuing us and it's all about making us fruitful and more like him do you know what the end result is for you to be like him everyone in this room the goal is for you to be like him for you to smell like him, talk like him, think like him, do the things that Jesus did. That's the whole goal for every one of us here. Now, we all look different. We all have different personalities. And it says that, that we're one body. We're fitly joined together. All of us here have a specific part to play. So when we all are fulfilled, we're all completely whole and healthy. When we all become everything he said, we can be the whole body becomes stronger and healthier. That's why it's very important that every one of you wins the battle at home in your personal life because it helps me become stronger. When I win the personal battle at home, it helps you become stronger. All for one, one for all. (laughs) Three Musketeers or someone said that, right? Some wise people. (laughs) Amen. So today I want to talk about morality. I want to talk about, um, I'm not going to talk very long, but it's more the favor that comes with morality, the favor that comes with holiness and a holy lifestyle. And in Daniel chapter 1, I'm going to read a lot of this. Um, I'm going to take the time today and read it. It's Daniel chapter 1, if you want to open your scripture. But I want to say this, that the right message spoken by right people is powerful and effective. You and I can speak the kingdom. We can speak the gospel. We can say the things that heaven is saying. And if our lifestyle doesn't line up with what we're saying, then it makes it incongruent. It's got the equal sign with the line through it. It doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't work. But when right people speak the right message, there's a powerful and effective result that comes with it. And what God wants to do is raise up a new generation of people that aren't, that aren't watered down in compromise. That don't allow the, the, the world system and the cultural things around us to press in on the values of the church. I want you to hear this. The church's place in the world is to show Christ to the world and to give an example of morality. It is our job as the church to press the values of the kingdom upon the rest of the world in a way that's not judgmental, but that it's in a way that's demonstrated. Please hear me. The, the kingdom is to be demonstrated to the world. The values and the morality of the kingdom is to be demonstrated to the world, not preached at the world, demonstrated to the world, so that when they see the values of the kingdom, when they see the holiness that comes from the church, they'll see the favor that follows the holiness. <sighs> All through Scripture, you will see example after example of people who live pure and holy lives before God and the favor that followed them because of their lifestyle of holiness. All through the whole scripture. You can just open up basically anywhere in the Bible, find a story, you'll find a holy man or a holy woman that was given holy favor because of their lifestyle. And in every one of those situations, their holiness, their holy lifestyle created favor not with just God, but also with man. 
People think that righteousness and holiness and purity is, a, is an ugly thing and it's a thing to be laughed at in our world system today. Righteousness, purity, believing for, for godliness, is, it, it's kind of laughed at. The reason that it's laughed at is because holiness and righteousness and purity has been preached with our mouths and not demonstrated with our lifestyles. So what happens is we say holiness, we say righteousness, we say morality, and we do it to say, oh, look at you, look at what you're not doing. And the church has been filled with immorality and lack of purity and lack of holiness. The world is not stupid. When the right message is spoken from right people, they love it. Even the world system gets on board when the right message is spoken from right-hearted people. Amen? We're going to open this up in Daniel chapter 1. I want to read pretty much the whole chapter. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and sieged it. And the Lord delivered Jeroboam, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple, and he carried, carried them off to hit the, God, the temple of his God in Babylon and put, in the treasure, and put it in the treasure of his God's house. Then the king ordered the chief of, of his official courts to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect. They were handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. They were well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and literature and the culture of the Babylonians. Now listen to what's going on here, all right? The Israelites were trained after Yahweh, after Jehovah, after his ways. Their country is being besieged by Babylon, which is the most corrupt, evil empire ever on the face of the earth. Even in our time now, Babylon at that point in time was the most corrupt, and it would be the most corrupt if it was alive today. It was a corrupt place. There were high places. There were hills that were set up with all kinds of prostitution going on. Uh, male, female prostitutes offering themselves to their God, uh, to, the, to the pagan gods. They had all these idol, idol, idol worship going on everywhere. Every high place that you saw on the land, every hill, every place that was set up above somewhere else, there was a place of idol worship. All the temples that were dedicated to God were destroyed or they were converted into idol worship in this time. Every one of them, they was, there was witchcraft that was rampant. The encant, enchanters, the wizards, the sorcerers were rampant in this time period. Basically, kids would be raised up from the time they were little. If they were wise or if they had discerning spirits or they had dreams, they would take those kids instantly, put them into the king's training for three years, train them how to be sorcerers and witchcraft so that they could control the elements in this kingdom. It was a wicked place. And Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these four people were taken captives to this new, new kingdom. Their, their place of Israel was besieged, and they were part of the royalty, the nobility, the wise kids, the ones that were set apart in Israel for God's service, for the king's service. And now they were taken and put into the, to the negative, the evil kingdom service, right? They were trained in the culture of Babylon. They were trained in the literature. They were trained in the idol worship. They were trained in how to become witchcraft and encanters and wizards and sorcerers. I've talked about this a little bit from a different point of view before, but I want to remind you of what happened in this time. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, these people probably saw their parents killed in front of them when this happened. 
Because in those days when a new kingdom came in or they took over the old kingdom, the first thing they did was rid it of anyone who was part of the old uh, kingdom. Anyone who used to serve in the royal courts. Anyone who had royal blood in any way. They were just immediately killed because in that time period it was like kings and then there were serfs. It was like lords and serfs, you know. There were people that were trained up. They knew the kingdom. And then there were people that just were there to work. So if you were raised in the king's house, you knew how the kingdom operated. So when a new place would come in to besiege it or take over it, they would feel a threat from the old kingdom, so they would just kill them all. Except in this case, they took them in and just said, you know what, they're young enough, we're going to retrain them in our culture. And that's what's going on in this first part. It says the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years. And after that three years of training, then they would enter into the king's service. Among these were, uh, from Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. These, the chief official gave them new names to Daniel. They called him Belteshazzar. Hananiah was Shadrach. Mishael was Meshach. Azariah was Abednego. Even they, they even took their Hebrew names that had God all in them and totally gave them Babylonian evil names that represented their gods that they worshipped. Totally gave them completely different names. Tried to change their whole identity. Hear me out. This is a history, history sermon today. But Daniel, listen to this, verse 8, chapter 1. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to eat that kind of food. All right, hear me out. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. You hear that? Daniel comes in and says, hey, I know what you're doing here and you're trying to train us this and that, but I'm still loyal to my God, the God of my country, the, the one true God. I'm still loyal to him, and it would be wrong for me to eat the food that you're asking me to eat. It would be wrong for my relationship with God. So I'm asking you to please don't make me eat that food. And because he stood up for righteousness and morality, God caused the, the official to show him favor and sympathy, Right? It says it right there. God caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. But the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid of the Lord my king, the person I'm in charge, that's in charge of me. He's assigned me with your food and drink. What if he sees you and you look worse than all the other ones that are your age or you look ugly or all of a sudden you're not as healthy as everyone else? Then the king would have my head because of you. But then Daniel said to the, to the guard, the one who he was appointed over, he says, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the other young men who eat the royal food. And then treat us according to whatever you see. Now we're going to stop for a minute. So this is what's going on. I, I want to draw the relationship with morality. To Daniel and the three other guys, to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, to those guys, it was wrong to eat the king's food because they were set apart to God not to eat those specific kinds of things. It was wrong for them. They petition the chief and say, hey, can we please not eat those things? It's against us. It's against everything that we know. God caused him to have favor on him. And, and he's like, but look, if I don't make you eat this stuff and you end up being dumb or not being as good looking or your skin doesn't look as nice as all the other young men, they're going to kill me because I didn't feed you right. And Daniel says, just put us to a test. Let us eat things that are kosher for us. Let us eat things that are right for us. And then after 10 days, if we don't look as well as everyone else, then you can make us eat the food. Oh. 
So after 10 days, Daniel and the three other guys, they eat vegetables and water and kosher foods that were right with their relationship with God. And, the, and it goes on and says, after 10 days, they looked more handsome, they looked more healthy, they were more alert than all the other people that were eating the king's royal food. So the official says, okay, it's fine with me. You don't ever have to eat the king's food. There was a stance for morality that resulted in favor with an ungodly nation, that resulted in favor with ungodly people because they stood up for what was right. Everyone understand? Oh, this is good stuff. So at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the other young men. So the guard took away their choice food and gave them vegetables and water instead. These four men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. And at the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered into the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the other magicians and cancers in the kingdom. And this went on for the rest of the time. They served like three or four different kings, Daniel did. He, w he was given such favor. Read the whole book at some point. It'll, it'll give you insight into what morality does even in an ungodly culture. Why am I talking about this? Because in our time, in our day, we need some Daniels and we need some Hananiahs and some Mishaels and some Azariahs to stand up. We need some people to say, you know what? I understand that culture says it's okay for, to, for this to happen. I understand that culture thinks that this is happening. See, the, the morality of culture always ebbs away. It always gets worse. In every culture that's been created from the history of time, there will be a high point of morality, and then it will deteriorate <laughs> until there's a revolution or something happens and they, they restore the pinnacle of, of the righteous. Then it will slowly ebb away, and things that used to be wrong are now okay. And we're in the middle of that in our country. There's an ebbing away of morality. There's an ebbing away of what righteousness is and holiness is. And what happens is because the church hasn't pursued the Lord the way they should, the church allows the morality of the world to be pressed upon the morality of the church. And we begin to look just like the church. To where the divorce rate in the church is the same as divorce rate in the world. Now, I believe there's life after divorce and there's grace for that. I'm, it's no big deal. It's not a judgmental word. I'm just saying there's a place that God wants us to go to as a people that live in a place of morality and holiness and purity. And there's a favor that comes with that that we couldn't have gained by giving in to the morality of those around us. See, oftentimes what happens, this is for young people, for old people, everyone in between. There'll be pressure, exterior pressure, upon your morality and your set of codes and beliefs. There will always be pressure from an outside source for you to give in on the things that you believe. Always, for the rest of your life. Now, there has to be something that takes place inside of you that says, no, these issues are settled in my heart. No matter what pressures come around me, these issues are settled. This is right. This is wrong. And the Lord is wanting for young people, for kids, for teenagers, for older people to stand up and begin to bring a moral revolution to our country. God's looking for young people that will reverse the trend of teenage pregnancy. That will reverse the trend of teenage promiscuity. That will reverse the trend of teenage drugs and alcohol abuse. God is looking for some clean teens or some righteous people to step up 
and do things that not other people, that other people would say, oh, why do you do that? You can get ahead a lot better if you act this way. In the world system, in your jobs, adults, it's always easier to get ahead, it seems like, being deceptive, manipulative in the workplace. When the boss asks about someone who has a position that you want, you kind of throw in every now and then a negative comment about them just because you're seeding the ground because you want that position. That's how the world system works. But God is looking for people to say, you know what? We live in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't fight the way the world fights. We don't war the way the world does. We don't live the way the world lives. There's a set of standards and a set of righteousness that the Lord has put out in his word that we're going to live by. Now, here's what I want to tell you. We have been taught, we have been taught a lie that says that if you're, if, you're, if you're righteous and if you're holy and if you live morally according to the Bible, that you will become an outcast and you will be pushed away by, by the whole world system. We've been taught that. We have been taught that if you live for God, you will be labeled a freak and that you'll be dishonored and your words won't matter to people. That you'll become the American idiot, you'll become the church idiot, that you haven't become enlightened enough, intellectual enough. Oh, you're just a faith person. You just believe in God. Come on. That's your answer for everything. How many have ever heard those things come from, from media outlets, from society? Oh, come on. Are you still so naive? Come on. This is 2010, 2009, 2009. (laughs) Come on. Are you still so naive? And there's this pressure in America. There's this pressure that says morality is ignorant. Morality is foolish. Am I lying? (laughs) This is where we're at in our culture. And God's looking for a church that stands up and says, you know what? I don't care what the pressures of society are. I don't care what, the, 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 what we've been taught. If I stand up for righteousness, I will have the favor of your face and the favor of man's face. The Bible said that Jesus continued to grow in stature and wisdom, and he grew in his favor with both God and with man. Let me ask you a question. Name one, name, name sinners that hated Jesus. Even Pilate, even the people that had him crucified, that had the authority to have him crucified, said, we don't want to do this. But you Jewish, you religious people want this so bad that if we don't give it to you, you're going to cause a revolt, and we're just going to give him to you to do whatever you want to do with him. Look, I'll release to you a prisoner, Barabbas or Jesus. I don't really care. I don't have a dog in this fight. This is what the world system said about Jesus. We're not a, we, we don't hate this man. We find no fault in him, no wrong in him. Listen to me. Jesus, the most amazing person in the whole history of the world, who does miracles, signs, and wonders, and is at, at constant battle with the, with the kingdom of darkness, and at every, fr- every front, he's combating the forces of darkness everywhere. And even Jesus, in all of his purity and holiness and righteousness, had a verdict from the world system that said this, we don't find anything wrong with you. And you and I are afraid to live a standard of righteousness and holy because we're afraid that that means disapproval from those around us, disapproval from a world system. I'm here to tell you that that is a lie. That is a lie that the church is allowed to move us into a place of fear. And what has happened is the thing that has moved us into this place of fear is because we haven't dealt with sin in our heart. 
And because of that, we bought into a lie. But when righteous people proclaim a righteous message, there's favor and there's miracles, there's signs and wonders, and there's favor with God and with man. Jesus, say it with me, Jesus grew in favor with both God and man. And Jesus says, the things I did, you're going to do, and even greater things than these. So if Jesus grew in favor with God and with man, then what does he want for us to do? To grow in favor with both God and man. Morality and holiness is not a scary thing. It's not how you dress. It's not how you look. It's what's in your heart that that determines morality and holiness. When the heart is right, it takes care of if I dress improperly. It'll take care of it. The Lord will take care of that. If there's attitudes that come out in my speech, then the Lord will take care of that when he lives in my heart. But morality cannot be pressed from the outside. It has to be done in the inside of your heart. The Bible says that judgment must begin at the house of God. In other words, repentance and a turn towards righteousness has to happen in the house of God. It says if the righteous are barely saved, then then how in the world will the sinners and the ungodly appear before God? I want us as a church to have a, a, a culture of morality and holiness. I want us to say, you know what? I think it's okay to do that, but because of my relationship with the Lord, I'm choosing not to do it in pursuit of him. There's a thing that's been happening over the last 10, 20, 30 years in the church where we've begun to take the freedoms of grace and we've begun to expand them to the point to where we've, we've allowed more things that were once classified immoral. And it's causing all kinds of division and confusion in the church. Well, is it okay to do this or is it not okay to do this? Let me tell you, if you spend time with the Lord, he will always let you know what's right and what's wrong. Always. It doesn't have to be um, legislated from the pulpit. It doesn't have to be posted on our church when you come in. Here's the commandments of Christ. Live them all out. Here's, here's our website. If you'll go there, it'll tell you everything you can and can't do. There's a listing of movies that if you're questionable about, you can just check out our website and we'll tell you whether it's okay to watch it or not. So what has happened is the church has tried to legislate morality from the exterior and we've missed out on the favor that comes with morality. Why is the church laughed at? Why is the church a laughing stock? Because the demonstration doesn't match the proclamation. But when the proclamation and the demonstration match up, the world will have no problem with the church. You know why? Because the church is here to serve the world. The church is here to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to help people that are struggling, to help people that just can't get over addictions. The world will have no problem with the church that's doing social services, which is what the church is called to do. If the church steps up and their, their proclamation matches their demonstration, the world will say, hey, come here. You're seeing streets cleaned up. You're getting drug dealers set free and changed and, and put back into society. We want to hear what you're doing. Amen? I've heard a testimony of a man named Lance Wall now. He's an amazing prophet. He's an amazing man of God. And, 
and um, good stuff. He has this teaching that he does that's, that's uh, Bible-based, but it's not preachy. It's not like a discipleship program. It's a training for leadership on the commands of Christ. And he's been given the okay in countries like Ecuador, Colombia, places like that, to come in and teach all of their, their, their political leadership this course on the 50 commands of Christ because there are results that come with morality. So he's coming in and teaching this. It went over so well in this system that he teaches it to the military, to the prisoners. I can't remember which country. I think it was Colombia. There's like 80,000 military leaders that were put through this class, the commands of Christ and the morality of Christ, basically. And it was done because there are results that come with God's morality. His way is the best way. Living his way is the best way. We, a lot of times, get this thing really messed up in our head that says, he's trying to control us. <laughs> Let me say this. He's not trying to control you. Everything that he puts in his word is for our benefit. Every law, every command, everything that says this is right, this is wrong, everything in between, it's all for our benefit, and he knows it. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's this thing that he knows is tied to morality that makes you healthy. It brings healing to your physical body. Listen to me. Morality will bring healing to our physical bodies. It will bring healing to our emotions. It will bring healing to our spirits. A righteous lifestyle, living for the Lord, will produce a healing that's in every part of our life. Amen? He knows this. It says that those that eat of the tree of life, that it's good for them. The fruit is good for them. The ones, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, it unleashed sin and the wages of sin across the earth. And the negative side of not living according to his standard of what's right and what's wrong. So why are there so many things that, that we don't do or we choose not to do that the world says is okay? Because if we do the right things, if we live by his words, it will become strength to our bone, healing to our bodies. Are you hearing me? The Lord wants to start a revolution in the church of people that say, you know what? I'm not going to say anything until I demonstrate it. Then after I demonstrate a lifestyle of morality, I will explain why I did what I did. Do you know how many times when Jesus healed somebody, he healed somebody just to draw a crowd, and then he explained to them the kingdom. <laughs> a demon-possessed person's going crazy, the crowd begins together, and I can just see him over there, okay, a little bit longer, a few more people are going to come up. All right, hey, uh, what's the matter with you? You want to be free? And then the demons, all right, go. And they leave him, and he's instantly free, and everyone's like, whoa, that's crazy Larry. We saw him, he was naked running around, now look at him, he's well, right? And Jesus says, hey, I want to tell you that if I drive out a spirit, then the kingdom of heaven has come near you. So in other words, right now the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For all of you that just witnessed this, the kingdom of heaven is here. And if you want to, you can reach out and take hold of it. So Jesus would draw a crowd by demonstration, then he would explain the kingdom to them. It was a very, very profitable teaching method. Demonstrate, explain. So if the church can get this flipped back the way it's supposed to be, We've tried to explain everything away until we don't know how to demonstrate it. 
The Lord wants us to live a righteous, holy lifestyle because there's a, there are benefits, there's favor that comes with holiness. You know, I read Proverbs 16, verse 15, and it says, the, 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 the shining face of the king means life. When you and I choose a standard of holiness and righteousness, it brings a favor to God's face and brings favor to our life. It means life. It means healing. It means wholeness. You know, I, I believe in divine healing. How many believe in divine healing? I think it's a wonderful gift. But I also think there's another gift out there called divine health. And I believe that living holiness and living righteously and pursuing after God will, will bring us into a place of divine health. This is something that I want to pursue in my life. I don't feel a need for doctors. I don't feel a need of being poked on or any other kind of weird, crazy stuff happening to me. Thank you very much. You can keep that to yourself. <laughs> right? How awesome would it be if the church raised its, its level of passion for God and we pursued him in a way that we begin to take him at his word and we begin to taste the benefits of the cross in every area of our life that we were healthy in relationships, healthy in our emotions, healthy mentally, healthy in marriages, healthy in our physical bodies to a point that was a standard that the world says, wow. How come the divorce rate over there has dropped? How come mental health is at a high in this area when it's struggling all around it? And we can say it's the kingdom of God. It's the teachings of Christ. It's the way of the Father who creates, who's in love with us, who's passionate about us. Now I want to close by saying this. Holiness is not a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is not, I'm going to cut this from my life to prove I'm holy before God. You know, we can do, the, do a good thing. And if the Lord didn't ask us to do it, then it's wrong. We can just get things out of whack and say, you know what, I'm going to cut this, and it's a good thing to cut this from our life. It's good. We can do it out of his will and do it because we're trying to earn favor, earn righteousness, and when we do that, it's wrong. Now, sometimes there's discipline that comes, and we have to cut things from our life out of discipline, and I believe all for that. I believe the disciplining of our lifestyles and, and cutting things that we should uh, until we really feel it, right? Some things are tough. You have to really discipline yourself. That's good. Go for that discipline. But don't do it to earn his favor. Do it out of relationship with him. Amen? Holiness doesn't mean a list of do's and don'ts. Holiness is where I pursue the face of God and ask him, Lord, what do you think about this situation? Whatever you tell me, I'll do. Daniel said to him, hey, just test us for 10 days. Just for 10 days, let us live to the code of holiness that we know, the kosher lifestyle that we've lived by, just for 10 days. And after that 10 days, if you don't like it, we'll do whatever you tell us to do. And after 10 days, they were more handsome, more healthy. And then at the end of this whole season of training, they were 10 times wiser, 10 times better looking, 10 times healthier than any of the other ones that were trained in the same program because they lived under a standard of holiness. It even came to the point where Daniel brought revival to the whole kingdom by loving King Nebuchadnezzar, the wicked king. Let me finish with this. Nebuchadnezzar was the wicked king over this that allowed all the idolatry that, per, that pushed the pagan worship in this culture. He was the one. And one night he had a dream that he couldn't interpret and none of the other magicians could interpret. And they're like, hey, we know someone who can do that. Daniel, he can interpret any dream. And Nebuchadnezzar was like, well, okay, here's the problem. You can't just interpret the dream. you got to tell me what I dreamed and then interpret it. 
And they were all like, oh, no one can do that. And so they go get Daniel. He comes in. He's like, oh, here's what your dream was, and this is what it means. And this is what Daniel says because the dream was a dream of, of conviction from God. It says, hey, if you don't turn to me, these evil things are going to happen to you. Your kingdom's going to be stripped from you. You're going to wander around like a wild man for seven years. You're going to eat grass from the fields like a wild cattle. <laughs> You're going to be out there. Your mind's going to go from you. You're going to be crazy for seven years. And David says this to the king. He says, oh, king, I wish that this word wasn't for you, and I wish it was for your enemies. Listen to this. Daniel and them had all the things that they had happened to them, the evil things that were done to them, their families killed in front of them, stripped from their culture, trained a whole new system, put in the ministry of the occult, told they have to change everything they know, new names, new everything. And then they're put in the king's service of a wicked man who perpetuates all this idolatry and occult and crazy stuff that's going on. And Daniel served him so well that he says, oh, I wish this negative word for you was for your enemies and not for you. And it won the king's heart. So instead of the church saying, oh, ha, ha, you're getting what you deserve. We've been trying to tell you that if you allow this to happen in our, in our courts, if you allow abortion to continue, then there's going to be judgment on our nation. When we do that, all we do is we drive a wedge between the ones we're supposed to love and us. That's all we do. When we get up in our political rants and our, our, our righteous pro proclamations, when we do that, all we do is we push away. And we condemn a world instead of bring them closer. Condemnation pushes away. But when we bring the word of the Lord, it brings a conviction that says, oh, come close to the Lord. And so in this situation, it's one of the most beautiful things in Scripture. Daniel says, oh, king, I wish this wasn't for you. I wish these bad things weren't coming to you. I wish it was for your enemies. And at the end of seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar prayed this prayer. Oh, God, you are the only God of the whole world. Jehovah. <laughs> Read on in Daniel. He says, O king, Daniel's God, you're the only God that there is. You can raise up and you can tear down. You can bring, you can humble those that walk in pride. You can humble us. And I praise you, the only God of all the earth. You're the only true and living God. And he put out a decree that says, Anyone who says anything bad or says anything negative against this God, Jehovah, will be judged, will be penalized. This is what happened at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's time. Why? Because Daniel lived a life of morality and holiness that brought favor with it. You're not going to be an outcast for holiness if your demonstration and your proclamation line up. The outcast comes when they don't line up. Amen? Why don't you stand? You want to start a revolution? Whoop, whoop. Do you want a revolution? There we go. <laughs> it's happening already in our country. We just want to jump in on it, right? We just want to jump in on it, and we want to start our moral revolution. And there's favor that comes with it. So I want to ask you today, um, if you're here and things aren't right between you and God, you want to make them right? At the end of the altar time, come see myself or come see my wife. We want to pray with you. We'll see Vanessa. We just want to talk with you. Make sure everything's cool. If you need personal prayer, anything else, we want to pray with about those things.
But as a whole church, the word is about morality. It's about living a holy lifestyle. If you're here and you say, hey, I want to be part of that revolution, I want you just to step out into the aisle. You don't have to come up to the front if you don't want to. Just step out somewhere, out of where you're at, as a sign of, hey, I'm making a change. I'm doing something about this. I'm stepping out. Yeah, don't be afraid. This is a good thing. We want to create a, a, um, a, a pressure in this society around us for morality. <laughs> yeah. Anyone else? Now, we're just going to begin to pray that God will help us to understand. First thing we need to pray, God, define morality to me. Begin to open the eyes of my understanding on what morality is. Begin to open my understanding of what holiness is all about, what it means. And then the second thing we pray is now, God, give me the strength to carry this out, to walk it out. All right? And then we'll pray one more thing together all at the end. So right now, just ask God to begin to reveal to you what what holiness is, and then the strength to carry it out. Lord, just begin to open to us a revelation, open our eyes and our spirits to what morality and righteousness looks like. God, I ask that we will begin to understand it, Lord, from your perspective, from heaven's perspective on what living pure and holy means. Lord, bring us to a place of childlike uh, pursuit of you, God. I ask that you just help us to understand. Lord, if there's anything that creeps in and distorts this in us, I ask that you would cut it off and just give us a pure pursuit of morality and holiness, Lord, and help us to know what it means and give us the strength to pursue it, the strength to walk it out and live it out in our lives, Lord, to be holy people, to be a a royal priesthood, a holy nation, peculiar people (laughs) that are just different, not to be weird, but are just different because we obey the laws of the kingdom. And God, I ask that as we do this, that there'll be a favor that comes with holiness, that the favor that comes with holiness would shine upon our lives, that we would grow with favor with both you and with man, God, that you would give us solutions to problems of our world, that we would begin to be a social system for our world, that we can help our government, we can help our systems around us to help people, to be what the church was here to do, to heal people, to restore people, to bind up wounds and to help those that mourn and to comfort those that grieve, God. Help the church to do what you called us to do, to preach the good news of the kingdom to those that are in need, Lord to proclaim the holiness of God, the love of the Father. God, I ask that we would do those things, God. Teach us what it means, Lord, to live this out and to proclaim it, Lord. In Jesus' name. I want to pray that. I want to pray over everyone here that as we do this, that as we pursue this, as we walk this thing out, that God will begin to give us solutions to problems around us.
I feel that burning in me so bad that it'll be a, 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 not just a moral revolution, but it'll be a cultural revolution that shifts the way government works, that it shifts the way communities work, that the church begins to step into its beautiful role of just healing people and restoring the relationship between God and man. And so, Lord, right now, I ask that as we pursue this, that the ministry of reconciliation will bathe us right now, that we'll begin to look for ways to restore God's relationship with man, that we'll begin to look for ways to bring solutions to, to our world's problem. The world is broken, it's wounded, it's crying, it's suffering, the ill effects of sin. And so, God, I ask that as the church we can bring healing, that we can bring restoration, that we can bring solutions to problems, God, that we can bring solutions to our economy's problems, that the government, governmental leaders won't have such a weight on their shoulders because the church has abandoned its role, but that we'll find ways to work with the government to help the systems around us, to restore the economy, Lord, to restore marriages in our country, to restore the sanctity of life and marriage and all the things that we need to do, God, but help us to do it the right way, not through picket lines, not through shouting and ranting and, and, and revolts and all those kinds of things, but doing it through healing, God. Let us begin to do it through healing hands, not judgmental hands. Let us do it with hands of mercy instead of judgment, Lord. God, I ask that you begin to pour into us solutions to our problems, God. In their workplaces where there's issues, God, give them solutions. Help them to bring, be an agent of peace in that situation, to bring peace to it and healing and restoration. God, in the school systems, we have Belinda and other people here that represent the schools, that work with the schools. God, I ask that you would help them to be solutions. Make them a Daniel mixed into the system that's there for the benefit of the kingdom, that brings goodness to the whole kingdom, Lord, because they're mixed into that system. Lord, every person here in their job, they've been mixed into that corporate job or to that place to bring righteousness and to bring favor to that company. So I ask that now they will begin to see favor in that company, favor all around them. In Jesus' name, we thank you for that. We really release it in Jesus' name. Yes, that's, that's how we should pray from here on out, okay? Lord, everywhere I go, may I bring favor. May I bring the favor of your face everywhere I go. May I bring the healing of your hands everywhere I go. Amen? I want to I say, I want to prophesy. <laughs> the Lord is going to bring a healing between church and state. Amen? And it's going to happen in a, in, a, in a love revolution. It's going to happen in a mercy thing. God's going to begin to raise up in the church pol political people that have a desire to change the system, but not in a way that's judgmental, not in a way that says, oh, everything you've been doing up to this point was stupid and ridiculous, we got to redo it. But in a way that serves the system, that makes it better, I really feel this so strong that God's going to begin to raise you up in your workplace, that he's going to bring a healing between you and the, between the kingdom and the workplace, that there's going to be things that happen, there's going to be transformation take place. And I want you to begin to look for ways that you can bring solutions. We're problem solvers. We've got the most creative force in the universe living in us. He created everything by speaking a word. He's in us. We have the greatest problem solver ever. Are we living in a world of problems? We've got the problem solver in us. That makes us problem solvers. So I want you to begin to look for ways to bring solutions instead of judgment. People don't need to be told that they're wrong. But when you introduce light to a place, darkness cannot remain.
Light doesn't come into a room and get up and have to declare, darkness, now I'm here and I'm more powerful than you, you have to leave. Light just shows up in the room and darkness has to leave. It doesn't have to be told or preached at. Hello? <laughs> you picking up what I'm putting down? <laughs> Amen? So I'll just release that over you right now. So I want you to pray into this from here on out. God, help me be a problem solver, a solution person. All right? We love you guys. We bless you. We thank you so much for being here. I want you to just be friendly, shake some hands, love on one another. If you want prayer, we're right here. All right? Be blessed.